don't think um, Push are going out today. They have their service this afternoon. If that's right, I think so. So Liz is going to bring us our first reading. Our first reading is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 to 20. May you be made strong with all the strength that come from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of all the saints in light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Luke chapter 23, reading from the 33rd verse. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And Lord, I pray that I may speak in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that your people hear you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, from time to time, I'm asked my views on controversial issues of the day like same-sex marriage or transgenderism or some other cultural phenomenon of our time of which I should add there is nothing new under the sun. Paul, our patron saint, writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 some 2,000 years ago. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And Paul then goes on to say this later on in that same chapter. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honour God with your body. Now if we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, it contains all the answers to the questions posed to me and the church about the cultural trends of the day. But I have a particular problem as a Christian when people ask me questions about same-sex marriage or transgenderism or whatever it is out of context. You see, I cannot, as a Christian, be identified with what I am against rather than what I am for. I cannot be identified with what I am against rather than what I am for. Because often when Christians pose these sorts of questions, there's an inherent or an implicit assumption behind them Namely, that the issue that they're asking about, whether it's same-sex marriage or transgenderism, is of a whole order worse than other sins. But are they? 
Is same-sex marriage worse than fornication, which is sex outside marriage? Is it worse than adultery? Is it worse than divorce? Is it worse than fiddling your taxes by cheating? Is it worse than hypocrisy? Is it worse than committing injustice against others, maybe your colleagues, your employees? Is it worse than not loving your neighbor as yourself? Paul, our patron saint, clearly doesn't think so. In that quote from before, he says this, those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Thieves, greedy, drunkards, abusive, cheat, He's not focusing just on other things. He's focusing on everything that is wrong in your life, my life. He's saying that sin is sin, however much we as human beings tend to want to rank them. Yes, the Bible does speak of mortal sin, but that, I believe, is the sin of Lucifer. That's when we've given ourselves to follow God, tasted of his spirit, living and walking by spirit, and then we reject and rebel against the lordship of God, the kingship of God over our lives. But all sin is sin, equally repugnant to God, and without repentance leads to death and judgment. So be careful, saints, in being identified with what you are against. Because are you without sin in your life? Remember what Jesus said when the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. She was caught in the act of adultery, which I think most of us would say is wrong. We know it's wrong. But what did Jesus say? Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And the criminal hanged alongside Jesus in our gospel reading recognized this. And he said, we indeed have been condemned justly for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. All of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Only Jesus, living as man, has been sinless without sin. And we need to be cautious, therefore, wary of our faith consisting of being identified against this or that, when we are still ourselves sinners in thought, word, and deed. So if, as a Christian, I'd rather my faith not be identified as simply being against X or Y, what do I want to be identified as being for? 
where our reading that Liz kindly read from Colossians is most helpful. I want to be identified as being for Christ the King, the King of Kings. And today, red is the color, remembering he's the King of Kings. As our reading points out, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I thank God for that daily. Because I don't know about you, I sin daily in thought. I'm not as gracious, as helpful. I omit to do the things I know I ought to do. But I know that I was forgiven once for all upon the cross. And that act carries on to cover my sins past present and future it's not a license to sin but it covers me and the Lord says to me just pick yourself up when you stumble dust yourself down don't allow the enemy to load guilt on you but carry on and call on his strength the next time the temptation to sin comes In verse 15 it says, he is the image of the invisible God. And I've just, that means that Jesus is the one who shows us what God is like. In his ministry on earth, he shows us the nature of the Father. Not the wrathful, vengeful God that often is associated with the Old Testament. But the God of mercy, the God of grace who longs to have relationship with each one of us. And then he is the source of order. And universe is ordered. As Colossians says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that he might come to have first place in everything. Our God is the source of order. The reason for hope that our world is not simply a maelstrom of chaos. And not least, he is the fount of peace. Through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. He's the source of our peace. And sometimes I've had the privilege of praying with people who are going through painful times, maybe cancer treatment, and just prayed for God's peace in them. And they've commented, the pain went, the peace came. Because he gives that peace which the world cannot understand. Well, I'm definitely for this king, Christ the king. The king who is the God of love. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. What love was that? Crucified in pain on the cross. But he says, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. He's the God of forbearance, patience, endurance. Because he allowed himself to be mocked, tortured, crucified. When he could have called down legions of angels. He could have called on heaven to pick him up. To rescue him from the Romans. And he's the God of mercy. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That criminal said to him, 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And even there, in his pain, he could say to that man, truly, I tell you, I give you mercy. You will be with me in paradise. You see, what Jesus is calling us as believers to know is that we're not against flesh and blood, our fellow human beings who may do the things we don't approve of. We're not against flesh and blood. But rather, we join with him in fighting against the principalities and powers, knowing that our God, who gives forgiveness of sins, is good. Jesus shows what the Father is like. He's all-powerful. In him, all things hold together. He's the source of order. He has first place in everything. He's the fount of peace. He reconciles us to God by making peace through the blood of his cross. He is love, forgiving, forgiving, even as he's killed. He's forbearing, patient, enduring, and the God of mercy. This is my God. And I hope your God too. Do you know him as Christ the King? Do you know him as the one who takes away the anxiety about the state of the world as you listen to the radio, watch the television? Because you know that of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. Do you know, my God? This God came for all sinners. And for those of us who have received the gift of redemption, forgiveness of our sins, we need to show our gratitude to him, not by being hateful to others, but seeing them as sons and daughters of the king who simply need to be redirected to him. Often people who are in the power of darkness are ignorant of God's commandments. If you've never been introduced to the word, never had the gospel unveiled to you. Well, anything goes. You may even be in the grip of spiritual forces that you're not even aware of. And until you give your life to Christ, then the veil goes. Then the yokes and bonds of the enemy are broken. We should not be surprised that our world is reflecting the practices of ancient Rome or ancient Greece or ancient Babylon. Our job as believers is to love people and look for every opportunity to introduce them to Christ. That's what you and I are called to do. Introduce people to Christ and let the Holy Spirit work in their lives to sanctify them, to make them holy as he transformed them through his love and forgiveness. Listen again to Paul, our patron saint. Some of you were once like that, beyond the pale, doing things of which God was not happy. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Sometimes we need to know where we've come from 
to appreciate how much he's done from us. Maybe you've been down in the depths of depression, of despair. Everything's shut down. And then God stepped into your life. Never forget what he's done for you. And what does this mean for you and me? It means we're called to be like Jesus. To emulate him as we read the word of God and as we hear the Holy Spirit. Are we reading the word daily? Because it's hard to hear him if we're not also reaching out to him through his word. But the King of Kings runs to find us. He searches to find us. And that's a wonderful thing we celebrate today that the King of Kings loves us and never gives up on us. I'm just going to call Neil's uh, brother-in-law, Noel, to come forward now to give us a, a testimony, a short testimony. Well, I'm so glad I don't have to go up there. <laughs> I'm Irish, so I don't come in any subtitles, so just, uh, I hope I don't speak too fast for you. Um, it's great to be here, and uh, thanks for having us and be so accommodating, etc. Um, what comes to mind with what I heard from the Word this morning is Numbers chapter 33, verse 55. And Numbers 33, 55 says, If you do not drive out the inhabitants... From the land before you, then that which you let remain shall become as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side, and it shall trouble you in the land where you're trying to settle. You see, the people in this fellowship who have come to faith, myself included, we had baggage from our past. I had baggage from my past being an orphan at the age of 14. I had no identity growing up as an adult, a young adult. I had no instruction. I had no one to mentor me or even to show me how to get my driving license. You know, I had to work things out for myself. And it can be very easy to get lost in the dominant rhythm of secular society. And then when you come to faith and you give your life to Christ and you come into a fellowship, it can be so easy to bring your past with you. And it can trouble you in the land where you're trying to settle. I am just about to qualify um, on the 16th of December as an accredited counsellor in psychotherapy, uh, counsellor in psychotherapist. And I meet people uh, on my course and through the people that I work with and that I see face to face who have stuff that they've brought into their Christianity, stuff that they've brought into their Christian walk. And nothing could be truer about it troubling them in the land where they're trying to settle. And Numbers 33 is saying that that needs to be driven out. I'm not saying in some supernatural Pentecostal way. I'm saying you need to make a conscious decision to find your identity in Christ. If you find your identity in Christ, you'll find you're not an alcoholic. You're not somebody who suffers or 
your, your identity will not be in anxiety or in depression. Your identity will be in Christ. And who are you in Christ? Fearfully and wonderfully made. A new creation who God has written your name on the palms of his hand before the foundation of the world. And it's with that, I just saw through your, your bulletin this morning that you have a Freedom in Christ course. And I'll just leave you with this. That Freedom in Christ course I had when I was living in Ipswich in the New Frontiers Church. And the whole principle of the Freedom in Christ and the whole principle of counselling and psychotherapy is to identify the lie that was spoken into your life that you're living by and to replace that lie with the truth. If you were told in school, oh, I was, that you were ugly or that you were worthless or that you were useless, and people spoke in those negative things into your life, how do you drive things out? You go to the word of God. No, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves me so much that he died for me. And you replace the lies with the truth. Just remember that your identity is in Christ. Not your sin, not your weakness, not your addiction. Who you are in Christ and knowing who you are in Christ is enough. Thank you. I had the privilege of reading Noel's book about his upbringing, background, and, uh, and uh, 